The Big Beat manifesto goes, Big Beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is contagious. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious. Run, you cretin! You're a fuckhead! That's what you are! A fucking shithead! It was a joke, Mark. I was joking. It was a Christmas joke. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Old Dude Brothers Podcast. This is Lee. And your co-host, Sean. And today we're going to be talking about Peep Show Season 1, Episode 1, called Warring Factions. Uh, this episode was released on September 19th of 2003, and I mean, for the life of me, it was so long ago. I mean, I, I, back in 2003, I mean, I was still in high school. Yeah, I was a young, I was a young, young guy in the military. I had uh, recently returned from my first deployment, and... You know, I was just kind of in, enjoying life being a, a young 22-year-old with unlimited money to burn and um, not a lot of responsibility. Yeah, don't we all wish that that was, uh, that was back, those days were back. But uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah, in general though, like 2003 was a terrible year. Uh, you know, we were heading into Iraq, um, obviously, it, that you know, that's never good because we're, we're still there. Um, but possibly the worst thing that occurred that year is, you know, Nickelback. And that's really when they came to light and started peaking on the charts. I mean, just crimes against humanity. Oh, their al- their album Long Road was released three days after this episode aired. Somehow that thing went triple platinum. have no idea how that uh, managed to happen because I don't remember any of the songs that are on that album. Yeah, I can only imagine it's because it was a very stressful time uh, for everybody. It's yeah, the just, only, that's the only reason I could think of. You know, Johnny Cash died a couple days before this episode came out. Um, so good music was dying. Nickelback was coming in. But uh, we also got Peep Show out of it. So that's always good. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I one thing I was really, when I was watching this episode again, you know, Jeremy was so excited about, uh, about this is outrageous. And, you know, I think that we also need to set the scene here. So our first episode that hopefully you guys have already listened to, we recorded that about two weeks ago. So we've had a little bit of downtime uh, between episodes. And in that downtime, we have been really busy learning how to become podcasters. And I got to tell you, after mixing and editing the first episode, I understand why Jeremy is so excited about his song. Because even though it's not good, it's uh, it takes a little bit of work to do that stuff. So well, I can completely relate to Jeremy and his feelings of excitement. You know, uh, with in the with words, his song, in the words of the great Jeremy Clarkson, it's ambitious but rubbish. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. <laughs> I we're uh, yeah. we're making a podcast for a show that nobody watches for an audience that's not going to listen to it. So we had eight listens on uh, SoundCloud since we uploaded episode zero. So we are definitely hitting the big time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if we hit, if we have ninety-two more listens over the next four week or the next fifty-four episodes, it's gonna exceed all. Uh, it's gonna exceed all expectations that I had. So we're looking forward to seeing how things go. That's right. We'll be sitting here counting our shekels from all the uh, the advertising money on WordPress. Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be great. I can't wait. <laughs> well, uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and dive into the episode here. Um, you know, like I said, Warring Factions, really just a great episode title that kind of, you know, describes the entire series and the the kind of back and forth between uh, between Mark and Jeremy. 
yeah, I this is a great episode. Well, I shouldn't say this is a great episode. This is a strange episode with characters acting really wild. Um, but uh, it it is good in the sense that you really, after watching this episode, you really know what you're going to get for the rest of the series. And, you know, as we touched on in episode zero, just the whole point of view thing, it takes a little bit of time to get used to. And it's just a really good way to kind of understand that. Because, in fact, just in the first scene, you're viewing Jeremy through his eyes dancing in the mirror, which uh, was outstanding, I thought. Yeah, I really, I, the one one line that he has that's pretty, uh, makes me chuckling is uh, when he talks about getting the tattoo of his face on his chest. And then he's just like, yeah, double me. Um, Let, let's up the ante. We'll up the ante right now. If we get five thousand likes before the end of the series, I will get Jeremy's face tattooed on my chest. I will also get Jeremy's face tattooed <laughs> on my chest. Yeah, let's save some room there. So uh, yeah, so topless Jeremy is just uh, grooving out to his track. This is outrageous in front of the mirror. You know, it's uh, it it really is a great intro because he is very he has big delusions of grandeur. And uh, just never really gets to where he wants to be, um, you know, musically or just in life in general. Yeah, I mean, I I would I would agree with that to to an extent. I mean, I think in a year we'll be talking about a, a very different Jeremy, a much happier Jeremy. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. a much more realistic. Uh, a Jeremy with a much more realistic look at his his life, but he, uh, he becomes less of a caricature. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, a good example of just Jeremy's whole attitude. I mean, his room in this scene, you know, you see it for the first time, is really only painted about two-thirds of the way. He kind of paints around all his furniture. And, you know, I think that's just telling about Jeremy just in general. Just always trying to find the quick thing, take a shortcut. and. Uh... Yeah, yeah, exact, exactly. Uh, why do things the hard way when you can just do it a way? Exactly. It, if it's done, then it's done. But... Uh, Next scene here, we get uh, Mark. He is uh, running down the street to catch a bus. Yeah, this is a great. This is a also a, a good introduction to Mark's character because you get to see his kind of, uh, kind of brash side that he has, where he's like very overconfident about himself, and when there's nobody around, like he sprints and catch, jumps on the bus, and he's like, "Yes, I am the Lord of the Bus," and he's wearing these. <laughs> old old headphones in what could potentially be a walkman i wasn't 100 percent sure it was hard to look like it i think it might have been yeah and, and it would um, be mark you know even in 2003 to still have you know a, a tape player yeah right because you know <laughs> analog always is going to sound better than digital right well you know you got to find your you know history books on tape it wasn't all converted over to digital yet so that is a that's probably what he was listening to as well. Like I have to imagine that if Mark were a real person, he would just now maybe be getting around to buying an iPod. I could see that. I could see that uh technology kind of scaring him and um yeah, I could just see him buying a, an iPod right now and thinking, "Oh, this is great. Why didn't I do this earlier?" But aside from being completely awkward and and running after the bus, and, uh, you know, using his Walkman, he pretty much immediately commits social suicide. Yeah, yeah, it's right out of the gate. You definitely see Mark's character. Um, uh, he is the reason that he is running for the bus, which running is not a thing that Mark typically does, um, is he is trying to 
catch up to a coworker, Sophie, um, who always rides this particular bus. And so he wants to make sure and ride the same bus as Sophie. Uh, Sophie walks on the bus. This is the first time you see Olivia Coleman in this role. And she's, uh, I mean, beautiful. 20, 2003 Olivia Coleman. I mean, even, you know, 2017 Elizabeth, Olivia Coleman is, is still beautiful. But oh, yeah. uh, she immediately she is... So young. She does. Oh, it's the same way with it's the same way with uh, David Mitchell too. Just so so young. <laughs> Robert Robert Webb, I I feel like doesn't really change that much throughout the course of the series. Um, season nine, Robert Webb looks very similar to season one. Oh yeah, Robert definitely. Webb, but David Mitchell, he 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 ages quite a bit. No, no, it's it's definitely kind of a, a distinguished thing though. It's not uh, it's not too bad, but. Um, you know, immediately, uh, Mark goes and sits down on the bus. Sophie comes and sits down next to him, and uh, Mark just happens to have his hand on the seat. When Sophie sits down, she just plops right down on his hand. Yeah, no, no real, no real fault of his. But I think that a normal person, probably at this point, would have just said, "Hey, excuse me, you're sitting on my hand," and then would have just kind of been done with it. Whereas Mark just kind of lets it fester, lets it fester, lets it fester until Sophie realizing that she's sitting on his hand is creeped out by the fact that Mark didn't tell her earlier that she was sitting on his hand. Yeah. I don't know if she's just wearing the world's thickest pants or had a bunch of lidocaine shot into her ass, but uh, I think I would notice if somebody had their hand uh, that I was sitting on somebody's hand, but uh... maybe, Maybe the hand just maybe the hand just sunk so deep into the um into the seat that you know she just didn't notice it. That'd be some really nice. That'd be a nice bus seat. I'd ride that bus. Oh, I'd I'd ride that bus all day. <laughs> but uh, so uh, a- after a little bit of an exchange, she just kind of continues on reading her book uh, to to try to ignore Mark and all of his awkwardness because you can tell there's a little bit of chemistry there, but she's just really not into it. I like this line that Mark has where he talks about she's giving you the book off because <laughs> that is not that's not a phrase that I would use in a normal day setting. Uh, now you might call it like fubbing, like phone snubbing or something yeah, like snub, that. Yeah, phone snubbing or something like that. But uh, yeah, in in this 2003 pre iPhone world, uh, Mark gets a good old book, good old fashioned book off. Yeah, he, he does. And actually, now that you say that, I think uh, the most advanced technology we might see is a BlackBerry in season one. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're probably right. Good I mean, old, they definitely do Blackberry. have cell phones because Mark talks about having a cell phone in in this episode. But right. Um. So she goes ahead and uh, or Mark rather gets off the bus and uh, is immediately accosted by a group of children, which is again right up Mark's alley. I mean, who else is going to get bullied by? A group of children. Yeah, just just Mark and I. Uh, one thing that I think is funny is that uh, Mark knows that he shouldn't, as an adult, he should not be getting bullied by children. But <laughs> he's just really too much of a. Uh, he's just too much of a. a uh, he's too non-aggressive to do anything about it. Like, Absolutely, he's so and like he's he's the most passive-aggressive person in the world. Yes, definitely. I mean, one hundred percent. So. so then, once once we finish here, we get our our first interactions with uh, with Jeremy and and Mark. Um, Mark is watching TV, 
and uh, he's reading a book about Stalingrad, and then Jeremy walks in and just casually mentions that they are are going to. Uh, or they Jeremy just casually mentions that he's finished his song and he knows what Leonardo. Or, now you're 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 tracking. Yeah, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was having a Jeremy <laughs> moment there. Um, you know, he just says, "Oh, now I know." what what's his name felt like when he finished the Mona Lisa. And I had a similar <laughs> feeling Sunday night when I finished mixing the first episode together. Yeah. I so can like, imagine. I, like I said, I really, I really gleaned a deeper insight into Jeremy after Sunday night. Absolutely. And in this scene, uh, at least at the beginning of it, you can kind of get a little bit of what we talked about in episode zero, where they were shooting for that kind of Beavis and Butthead commenting on the TV sort of, you know, that sort yeah. of, you know, Beavis and Butthead on the couch. You kind of get a little bit of that. Um, but uh, shortly thereafter is really what kicks off the plot line of the episode, which is uh, the first mention of Tony, which is one of their neighbors in Apollo House. And they got invited to a party that she was hosting. This This is one thing that is really weird about this episode is that I definitely can see Jeremy being like, stoked to go to a party mark uh, i mean i think that the party would have to come to him before he would really be gung-ho about going to a party i'd agree with that i think the only reason that he even showed up in the first place is because it was basically next door well also <laughs> he he in this scene he discusses how Jer- how jealous he is of of jeremy having a a, a fuck buddy and um this is another thing that's just kind of Mark. Mark is not a casual sex kind of guy, which we see him a couple times having casual sex in season one, but I just, uh, very it's not very, yeah, out of character, yeah. very out of character. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you'll see later on in uh, future seasons, if you haven't seen the entire series yet, Mark, I wouldn't say he wears his heart on his sleeve, but he, he definitely jumps in. Uh, way deeper than he should, way quicker than he should. It, it makes for some interesting situations. Um, you know, so you know, Mark is interested in maybe picking up a fuck buddy at this party, but Jeremy is gunning for Tony, which is the the host, the female Tony. Um, you know, he he actually says, uh, you know, the reason why they'd be so great is because they're both so relaxed about sex. Because the last time that he was over there, they watched a porno, which is great. Except for we find out later, it wasn't a porno. It was the English patient, right? And uh, I also really like this little uh, Jeremy's just kind of meandering thoughts where he starts <laughs> uh, thinking about how nice it would be if he could if he could have sex with Tony through a wall, and then which he just looks at Mark and he just asks this question: How thick is wall? And <laughs> there's no qualifier for it like mark probably shouldn't even really know what he's talking about it but mark has a great response already locked and loaded which is depends perfect and perfect and then that's kind of that's kind of the end of that and now this next scene i felt like was really strange because this is the first time we see the lobby and by first time, I also mean last time. This is the first and last time we see the lobby of Apollo House, which is, uh, I, we've said Apollo House a couple times, but Apollo House is this kind of condo apartment building thing that they they live in. 
Um, but yeah, it's this first and last time you see this this set, and it just it really jumped out at me when I watched this the first when I was rewatching this. Absolutely, and you know, a lot of it's just you. There's enough. There's a lot of time where you're kind of just looking at it because Mark in this scene is just staring out the window of the building, watching the kids that were bullying him on their bikes. Because uh, he he's got to take a dump and he doesn't have any toilet paper, so he's he's like he's sitting there pinching one off pretty much, just like oh my god, these kids need to leave. Because yeah, um, shortly thereafter though, uh, is Tony hits Mark in the face with the door, which is actually the first time we see Tony. Yeah, uh, you Tony comes in like a Tony just comes in like a wrecking ball, blast Mark right in the face with the door, and then starts. Uh, complaining about the lack of cereal at a uh, little corner store that she goes to. And Tony is not the deepest character in all of Peep Show, but I think this is a good kind of introduction to her character where she is very, very, she's very, very selfish, very, very like self-centered and does not really pay attention to what's going on to people around her and, she just kind of blasts Mark right in the face with the door, apologizes, and then just goes on with her life. Yeah. And, um, you know, just just going back to the set as well, you know, if you really look around while they're talking, it looks like Apollo House is really nice. In later seasons, you see, it, you know, that it's kind of fallen apart and there's graffiti everywhere. So there's a little bit of a break in continuity there. Uh, but it's still an interesting view that you don't get to see again. Uh, but the next scene is just Mark and Tony, after Tony complains about the lack of cereal at the corner store, Mark provides the uh, the said Alpen to Tony, and uh, they're just kind of sitting there making small talk at the table. Yeah, this is a, this is a, a this is an interesting scene because you have, uh, you have Tony up in the flat with Mark, and he, Mark's primary concern is basically just not crapping his pants and <laughs> we've all been there yeah yeah definitely we've okay. all been there and he, his primary focus is you know not a uh, not crapping his pants but yeah. one of you're one not, the... not going to be very eloquent yeah at that moment one of the things that was really and jeremy has a scene like this later when he's talking to to paula but uh Oh, it's really weird when Tony says, and then Tony basically kind of in passing reveals that one of her sisters has leukemia. Mark's response to this is just mind-blowing, where he says, <laughs> shit, at least it's not cancer. Like, Mark is a smart guy. Like, he would know that leukemia is a form of cancer. Like, I just don't, like, I think it's a funny joke, and I enjoy it, um... But it just it just seems it's a strange joke to me. See, to me, I, I take a look at that little interaction there and I think about uh like Jason Bateman's character in Arrested Development where, you know, he seems like he's the guy that has it all together all the time, but really when you look deep down, he's not really a whole lot better than the rest of the lot. However, it is very out of character for Mark. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for him. You know, if you're reading books about Stalingrad all day, you should know these sorts of things. Um but, uh, you know, in, in this, you know, Mark tries to take Tony's mind off of everything by offering up a Black Adder DVD set to come over and watch. And Mark, in this episode, 
continually offers up uh, the Black Adder DVD. And actually, I think it's a kind of a recurring theme through season one, just a little bit. Uh, but Black Adder was a BBC series starring Rowan Atkinson. Uh, it ran for quite a while. And uh, he's he, uh, Rowan Atkinson, better known to most people as Mr. Bean. Of course, yeah. Uh, obviously, Mr. Bean's Day Off, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, he he does he, the guy's brilliant. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, Mark says to Tony, "Hey, you know, I can cheer you up. You want to hear something really funny?" So all of a sudden, we cut to Jeremy's bedroom, and Mark and Tony are sitting there listening to Jeremy's track. This is outrageous. I. Again, and I feel like that we've said this a ton in this episode, that it's just characters acting weird. But this this scene is just really weird to me, where Mark is just completely berating Jeremy and his music. And um, I, I don't know if he's... Uh, part of me thinks that he's trying to embarrass Jeremy so that he can make Tony his, his friends with benefit. But... It's just, it's so strange to see Mark just completely slagging on Jeremy and his music and being like fairly unrepentant about it until he, well, I'm jumping a little ahead of, but uh, basically just being kind of an unrepentant asshole until he's caught. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that from just from a writing standpoint, it took him a little while to kind of fine tune the Mark's internal voice with his external voice. Yes, because I think his internal voice in this in this episode is very consistent with what you see later. It's his kind of external actions that um, that change wildly. Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, Mark isn't ever gonna you know sit there and laugh at Jeremy's track because Mark does care about Jeremy. Um, but in this case, they they're sitting there laughing about it, and Jeremy just kind of walks in and busts some bows sitting there. Which leads to my to one of the uh, to another funny scene, which is basically the next morning. Mark is trying to uh, he realizes that he's screwed up, and Mark really is just kind of trying to to make amends with Jeremy in any, kind of any way possible. He offers him some chicken tikka. He offers Jeremy some. He off, you know he asks him if he wants to watch Dune on DVD. <laughs> Uh, he's got a pie in the uh, he's got a pie in the fridge and he's also got some ice cream and and Jeremy just is not having any of Mark's like attempts at at reconciliation. Oh no, I mean he definitely when he when he goes to the fridge to grab his uh, snack there which appears to be some sort of pudding or something. Uh, he's definitely doing it begrudgingly. And uh you know again kind of just a flip of the characters where Jeremy's the one being passive aggressive. Uh, I mean, it's just it's very strange because usually Jeremy's just gonna fly off the handle and say whatever the heck he's thinking about, um, pretty much all the time. And in this scene, also something that I noticed that I had never noticed until this most recent time I watched it. It looks like he's eating this chocolate pudding, but he's also taking bites out of a giant block of cheese. Kind of strange, but uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't know what that. I I know exactly the part that you're talking about and it's just yeah i don't know what the hell he's eating there yeah it's weird but uh so anyway uh mark basically uh i believe it's mark lets it slip uh about the cancer or no what it is is that mark's asking for the name of an acupuncturist to get for tony's sister who has cancer 
to try to make her feel better. And uh, Jeremy's response is, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I like this. I This scene is very funny where he just starts saying every stereotypical like Chinese name that you could you could think of. I actually have it written down right here. He slowly looks up at Mark and he says, Dr. Ying Fu Yip Wang Shong. But then he just pauses like every time he's about to start saying more names. Peng Feng Wang. <laughs> Ding Dong Ning Po Ku. And just, I mean, he just keeps going. And I really wish he would have just kept that going because it is hilariously funny just seeing him just say every stereotypical Chinese last name you could think of. Which, you know, is typical Jeremy Niedrich kind of just yeah, out it comes. Uh, and, you know, Mark in his classic way uh, just looks at Jeremy and says, oh, I get it. You're lampooning me. It was just a simple lampoon. I Yeah, I like that. It's not, <laughs> it's oh, very I get it. You're, you're, you're messing with me. It's <laughs> And, you know, when Jeremy calls Mark a posh spaz later, like, that that kind of phrasing, you're lampooning me, it was a simple lampoon, that's like the way that I would think that a posh spaz would talk. Oh, completely, completely. And uh, tired of Mark's bullshit, uh, the next scene we see Jeremy in the local pub, where we get our first introduction to the character of Superhands. Yes, great. I mean, the one character that probably stays the most consistent through the entire series is Superhands, outside of him paying for the beer, which that was strange. You know, you and I were talking about this before we came on air. Uh, like, it just seems strange that he's paying for the beer when I don't ever remember him paying for anything in the rest of the series. No, absolutely not. In fact, uh, there's a couple episodes where he's just straight out stealing stuff from stores. Yeah, but uh, Superhands is, uh, you know, like Jeremy's. He's, uh, you know, counterculture, but at the same time, Superhands is a fairly intelligent character. Um, but in his counterculture way, or orders a Guinness says spe- specifically no logo in the foam because you're just basically drinking an advertisement, uh, which I thought was kind of funny because you know it is kind of a kitschy, weird thing you don't see very often in the states, I suppose. But uh, over over there, I, th- I think it's probably more commonplace. Uh, and Jeremy kind of uses Superhands as uh, a little bit of a sounding board for Mark's concerns, or I guess making fun of their track. Yeah, he he points. He says that, um, you know, he thinks the track is shit. To which Superhands responds, "No, it's the shit." And this was when we were talking about in the intro episode. We were talking about how some of Superhands' jokes I knew were funny, but I didn't really get the uh, get the the references. He has this part where he says, "What's what?" So Mister Ocean Colored Pants doesn't get it quell fucking surprise and then he then jeremy responds and then uh superhands finishes mate you got to get some rewange he broke omerta and again those are kind of you know stuff that i i was like okay this is supposed to be a joke uh but quell is high german which does not surprise me that he speaks high german but it means like a well or a spring so it's kind it's almost kind of a little bit of a pun there uh, Rowenge is our second Black Adder reference of the of the evening, which is um, Rowenge is a word that Black Adder uses 
in that series to mean revenge. And then Omerta is the mafia code of silence. So basically he's saying, we got to get revenge on Mark. He screwed you over. Right. And honestly, uh, you know, coming up here in the next uh, one of the next scenes, but this scene is kind of important for the episode just because it's kind of a project in social engineering uh, as to where, uh, you know, if you want to find out if somebody is, you know, repeating things that you say to somebody else or whatever, you drop a keyword here and there. In Superhands' case, it's, you know, Rowenge and Omerta and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and you see Jeremy pretty much just parrot that later on. Just, you know, he, I think Sean actually put it uh, really well in Episode Zero that uh, Superhands is basically the devil on Jeremy's shoulder. Yes, yes, that's uh, definitely watching this again. Um, definitely watching this again, you definitely see that... Um, the devil and, and angel aspect of everything. <laughs> so um, that that pretty much wraps up that scene. And then we see Mark outside of Apollo House uh, during the night where it's kind of a weird angle on the building. And I don't, I don't think you ever see it again from that angle. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in this first episode. I mean, obviously, you know, in, a, in the U.S. it's easy to say, okay, well, it was a pilot, Right. Because they make the pilot episode and then they make the series if the, if the network likes the pilot. But uh, in the UK, it's more or less they're just picking up a six-episode series. Because there's really a lot less invested money-wise and just time-wise into a six-episode season than, you know, 22 or 24. So Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it's it's definitely yeah. you you get a much more compressed story. And, um, you know, there's there's benefits to that because the characters never really wear their welcome out because you have them for a month and a half, two months, and then they're gone for like a year and a half. Yeah. And believe me, if you're listening to this podcast the whole way through, we're going to wear out our welcome with you before the characters do. <laughs> but uh, that, <laughs> that is, that's a 54, 54 weeks in a row is going to be a big commitment for, for people. So for everybody involved, it's, Yes, be a slog, but uh, so Mark is walking around, and uh, just kind of the internal dialogue in his head is, "Okay, you're not a pedo." He sees the kids out there. He says, "You're not a pedo. You're just a normal man walking past some children." And you know, of course, Mark is the kind of guy that is neurotic enough to experience the bullying of these children, and then all of a sudden he's having the self doubt, which I I thought was great, and it it's that's more characteristic of Mark. Yes, exactly. I, I like how I like how he tries to argue, argue logic with them, where they call him clean shirt, and he's just like, uh, the, "Is that, that a bad that, thing? <laughs> that's, a, that's not a bad thing." Like, yeah, it just uh, it, it's a very it's a very it, it's it's the most Mark scene out of this entire episode. I think I would agree with that. Um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, his little uh, scene with the children there, uh, we see the first instance of Mark's bedroom, which is very different than you see in the rest of the series. Again, kicking back to 2003, you got the uh, ancient computer that's sitting sideways on his desk with the giant CRT on top. Uh, yeah, probably that monitor probably weighs like probably more than Jeremy does. Probably so. Uh, he has a different computer desk than he does in the rest of the episodes, and uh, there's there's some just some minor differences. But Mark goes into his bedroom and uh, 
kind of pulls back his covers. It looks like he's winding down. And uh, there's a bunch of meat in Mark's bed, spelling out Judas, very reminiscent of the Godfather. But in uh, obviously from Jeremy's sort of uh, simplistic, dare I say, discount point of view. Yeah, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's definitely how Jeremy would see the the infamous scene with the horse head, but um, but the uh, but done in a budget a, a low budget kind of Jeremy way. Absolutely, he basically spells Judas out with uh, lunch meat in like Mark's bacon bed. and sausage and yeah. Uh, so and and on that. Um... You know, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where Jeremy is pretty much parroting Superhands almost word for word, Rowenge and all that stuff. Because right, he he heard it, he heard it, he thought it sounded good, he liked it. So here it comes. Yeah, he literally just looks at Mark and just says, "Omerta, Rowenge, yeah, tie buttoned up to eleven or whatever it was, and and all that kind of thing." This is also the scene where he calls him a posh spaz, and Mark is furious about being called a posh spaz, but Mark is a posh spaz, and I would have to imagine that Mark would realize that he is a posh spaz. Absolutely, uh, because he does posh spazzy things. Um, Yes. Like uh, Jeremy accuses him of ironing his socks, which (laughs) which Mark takes a huge offense to. What was the other thing they talked about there? I, I, um, there, there were two things. One of them was ironing his socks, but, uh, oh, this is also this, this is also the scene where Mark tells Jeremy how terrible his music is. And Mm. I, it's, it's weird seeing Mark being so like outwardly aggressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it happens here and there, but not kind of in the way that it, it does in this episode. I mean, I don't want to beat the dead horse of being out of character, but, you know, still sort of the same thing, but it's still Mark. Uh, yeah. So the next scene we see the uh, the kitchen in the flat the next afternoon with Mark eating spaghetti, and this is one of those weird things I was talking about where the point of view just gets kind of weird because when you have it, like, point of view and, and he's eating spaghetti and it's all zoomed in, it almost looks gory. In a weird way, like uh, if you've ever seen the intro for the show Dexter, like yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, it just reminded me of that. I don't know why. Yeah, it's also a a very zoomed in on the spaghetti where you always assume that the camera is where the character's head is, and if this is if this is the case, then Mark is like practically asleep in this on this plate of spaghetti. And, uh, you know, for those that might have skipped ahead, yes, LD Brothers Podcast, where we're going to analyze Mark's spaghetti (laughs) for a few solid minutes. So, uh, you know, Mark's just kind of thinking to himself that, uh, you know, because at this point in the episode, Mark and Jeremy, in a way, are kind of just social slash sexual rivals when it comes to Tony. Yeah, and uh, this is when Mark starts to really... Um, starts to really think about making uh, Tony his fuck buddy. Right. And one of the best Mark lines that I, I mean, I just love the line uh, to where he's saying, you know, he has the power of the most erotic muscle, which is his brain. And uh, says, the longbow beats the crossbow, my idiotic friend, which is a perfect Mark 
history sort of you know weird insult that really if he said that to Jeremy Jeremy would probably just say huh yeah or, or call him a posh spaz again you know yeah so <laughs> um but anyway yeah. Jeremy sits down and uh, starts picking through Mark's spaghetti yeah and then this is uh, of course some of the biggest offense that Mark can take is Jeremy just kind of picking at his food absolutely <laughs> Uh, you know, and they, so they get into a little bit of an argument and, uh, you know, again, another recurring joke throughout the series, uh, Jeremy just kind of looks at Mark and says, and you've got weird nuts. And Mark is very self-conscious about his weird, large, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a different. They set. don't ever really, they don't ever really say what's wrong with them. Just that they're weird. Yeah. It's something, something he's got serious, uh, dysmorphia over his nuts, but, uh, you know, it, the, Go ahead. This is a joke that goes the entire length of the series, and we, I think we, I believe that we talked about this in, in last week's episode, where I did not recall that this joke even happened, and it's one of those things where as you watch the series, you remember that this is a joke, but you never, it, it's one of those things I just did not remember where it started, when it started, or how it started, and then it was just, it was super funny when I realized that this was literally a joke they had the entire series. Yeah, you gotta love the consistency. I mean, not that, you know, ball jokes are exactly, uh, you know, fine art, but certainly uh, I can appreciate the consistency there. So in the next scene, we finally get to Mark and Jeremy going to Tony's party, you know, the the from the beginning of the episode, that's what we were waiting for. Yeah, and here we go. Uh, the thing fireworks start right out of the gate with Jeremy and Mark still, you know, Jeremy is upset with Mark for telling him that his track sucks. Mark is upset with Jeremy for, you know, basically just being passive aggressive. So now we get into a passive aggressive war with each other. Absolutely. And you know, something interesting, if you just look at Tony's apartment for a minute, the layout of the apartments uh, it's very strange because, you know, I'm, I've lived in apartments before and, uh, you know, most of the apartments in a building are laid out to be approximately the same, maybe a few variations here and there, but they they are completely different. Yeah, they are. It's just a British thing or, you know, because he, the building's old or if it is like a condo, I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, it, it was it was really shocking, like when they walked into Tony's apartment and then it's just like totally different looking building than anything else right and uh you know tony again being self-centered you know they're doing their introductions and things like that and she she's going on about uh burning down the hampton court maze because she was tired of her husband's bullshit which of course was a uh, 60 acre hedge maze that originally was planted in the 1600s but basically jeremy and mark in this scene are both trying to get uh tony to sleep with them essentially, because at this point, neither one of them have any better options or any other options in general. Yeah, and Jeremy goes with the attempt of, I or with, excuse me, Jeremy goes with his technique, which is just to laugh at everything, and maybe she will give him some mouth love. <laughs> and Mark yeah. Mark's uh, attempt is wait for Jeremy to screw up and then wow her with the power of his brain. Which, you know, waiting for Jeremy to screw up is really not that bad of a strategy. But, uh, you know, Mark goes into some some weird places with that. 
So, uh, you know, Jeremy eventually kind of a little bit defeated in a way, uh, meets up with Tony's sister. And at first, uh, you know, again, earlier in the episode, we found out that Tony's sister has cancer. Uh, you know, in, in this case, she's wearing a beanie and appears to be bald. Uh, so he starts talking to her just kind of out of, I don't know, sympathy, maybe. But then she lets it drop that she's actually in the music business. And all of a sudden, Jeremy is super interested. I don't think that he's actually... I don't think he wants to even talk to her. I think he's no. more just talking to her just because she's sitting there in front of him. He actually makes a comment about how she's the most boring person in this entire room. Yeah. Um, so, but all of a sudden, you know, you say music business and he says, Oh yes. You know, yeah. Now all of a sudden he's, he's, yeah, he cares. Um, yeah. but so they start to play a game at the party, you know, typical party game kind of thing where you write down somebody's name and stick it, you know, stick it to your head. And the other person has, to, or you have to guess whose names on your head. Yeah. And, I've uh, played this game before and it's, it's pretty fun, but this is, this is, a a wonderful example of Mark and Jeremy's ideologies where Jeremy's name that he writes down is cock muncher and <laughs> Mark writes down uh, uh, David or Tim Henneman, which is a famous tennis player. Although I think that later season Mark probably would have gone with like uh, Rommel or some other like World War Two you know, general or something like that. And and I would have the same notion, but that being said, I think that if Mark were into sports, it would either have to be tennis, golf, or maybe, I don't know, curling or something really fringe and, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I definitely could. I Mark, any interest in sports would be some weird fringe sport that only like eight people like. Right. The, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and, let's see here so what what they're writing the names on actually for this game is is uh Rizla which is actually a brand of rolling papers which I thought was kind of funny as well um so let's see here Jeremy and Paula end up going back to Mark's flat he kind of Jeremy sort of admits defeat and says yep okay Tony's yours we're going back to uh to listen to my track this is, and then we get to see Mark really pour it on here. Um, we get to really see Mark pour it on here where he starts talking about the Red Army being surrounded. And the whole time he's doing this, he's got Tony's hand in his hand. And he's just like really, really talking about the Battle of Stalingrad. And Tony is like <laughs> visibly uncomfortable during this scene. And, uh, then this is when Mark brings up, you know, I heard you watch a porno with Jeremy. I would also like to watch a porno with you. And this is where Tony says, no, we didn't watch a porno. I don't know what he's talking about. We watched the English patient. <laughs> and, you know, Mark is, uh, you know, even though he, he sees victory in the fact that Jeremy passed off the English patient as a porno, He's he's dying a little bit inside because his he's kind of had to make some concessions about the story of Stalingrad and uh, that's not the, that's again kind of kind of weird for him but uh, you, you can tell it, he's he's hurting from that a little bit just being a history buff <laughs> uh, so at that point Tony's husband also named Tony 
uh, comes into the room saying that they're out of wine, sends Mark down to the liquor store across the street to pick up some more. And then we go back to Mark's flat with Jeremy and Paula. And uh, one thing that we did leave out, and uh, sorry for we didn't mention this, is that as Jeremy and Paula are leaving Tony's apartment to go back to Mark's place, Mark makes it a point to tell Jeremy that Paula has cancer because he doesn't want Jeremy to say or do something stupid with her, which if you want Jeremy to not do or say something stupid, probably the best thing to do would have just been to not tell him. Um, Cause then he starts thinking about it and he starts thinking about it way too much and it just ends up consuming him. Um, Absolutely. But one thing that I also, just like Mark not knowing leukemia is a form of cancer, one thing that is very, that you don't realize at this point is that Jeremy actually, I mean, Jeremy did graduate from, from the school that he went to, and he has a degree in nursing. So Paula starts, he starts thinking about, is cancer contagious? And I would just feel like that even if he graduated, even if he graduated nursing school with all D's, because a, a person who graduates nursing school with a D is still a nurse, um, he would have to know that cancer <laughs> is not contagious. Like, well, it, you it know, just, I, it kills me. It, it does, but I feel like Jeremy's nursing degree, because you know, it is mentioned barely, maybe a couple times, but uh, I feel like it was used as a convenient out, not to take anything away from the writers, but I feel like it was kind of used as an out in a couple instances, and it just kind of, it's, I think it's one thing where the continuity falls apart a little bit, but, you know, not that it's anything major. Right, right. Right. Uh, but they're, uh, yeah, they're just sitting there rolling fat joint, and uh, that that's when the cancer comes up. But uh, then, meanwhile, back at Tony's apartment, after another run-in with the children, uh, telling them that, Mark, you know, telling Mark that he's a pedo again, uh, you know, being bullied by children yet again, this time in front of adults, though, which is kind of funny. Uh, he Jeremy walks in to Tony's apartment very sore with Mark. Yeah, he, he accuses Mark of basically just, um, you know, uh, basically just trying to uh, uh, sabotage his, his attempts at, at seducing Paula. Absolutely, and, and I think it's funny, too, because... He gets called out for giving a fake name for the doctor earlier in the episode, the Wang Shang Fu Ping whatever, and uh, you know, as it turns out, it was just you know an acupuncturist. And Jeremy says maybe the most reasonable thing that he says all episode, which is, you know, she's got cancer. Paying somebody fifty bucks a piece to stick a needle in your face ain't gonna help her. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very he did, it's it's very accurate and. You know, I don't want to belittle anybody's beliefs in in Eastern no, of medicine, not. but of uh, not. but yeah, acupuncture not probably going to do much to help cure the leukemia. Definitely, definitely. So, uh, but Mark, you know, raises his voice back, which is again kind of strange. But uh, essentially, where the scene leaves off is that Mark and Jeremy are both trying to bury each other. Yeah, and I think in this case. Mark wins. Like, uh, it's not a big victory for Mark, but Mark came out on top this episode. Uh, Mark never really goes for the big victory, though. Re I mean, really. True. He's just, True. like, he takes 
the little victories and just it's sort of like uh being a Bengals fan before I don't know 2003 2004 you know to where if you went 8 and 8 it was like winning the Super Bowl or when you take the Chiefs quarterback out in the first game of the season and destroy any hopes they had for winning the Super Bowl yeah basically you know things like that uh, you know like I said we're a little bit sore but that's okay um yeah, you know, he thrives on these little victories, and they're always so insignificant. But to him, it's just it's the biggest thing in the world. So uh, the final scene of the episode, after they get done throwing each other under the bus, is Mark actually on a bus, uh, not trying to run Jeremy over, but rather talking to Sophie. Yeah, and uh, he, he realizes that Sophie's Poland. Um, you know, she's easy to deal with not you know not too tough (laughs) not gonna put up a fight and And tony's russia and he just does not want to deal with russia anymore exactly so he you know he kind of comes to his senses because realistically tony is probably more of a partner for jeremy yes definitely she's she's definitely kind of uh more jeremy's partner than um than anybody else so Jeremy's, or rather Mark, is just standing there on the bus. He's got his Walkman on, going to get off the bus. And who should be there? It is the kids once again. And Mm-mm-mm. this point, Mark, I don't know if Mark is emboldened by his minor successes or if he just decides to go crazy, but he has enough of these kids and just runs after them with a steel pipe. Um, he's yelling, do you want a taste of my steel? He's really like just mighty battle cry, mighty battle cry. Yeah. And then unfortunately for Mark though, Sophie sees this and probably does not really do much to help, uh, Sophie's view of him. No, certainly not. And, uh, you see her reaction, her face on in through the bus window as we cut to the credits. So, just to kind of recap and uh, just, you know, my personal feelings just, with, you know, within a couple sentences, I guess, is it good episode, good introduction, you know, kind of falls short of the overall series expectation, but enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that this show does a good job of kind of showing, like, this is what's going to happen. Both character stories are really interwoven. Um I really liked uh, one one scene that I think we kind of left out was one of Superhands' advices to Jeremy on how to get them signed is basically it's not who you know, it's who you blow. And so when Paula is talking to Jeremy um, in Jeremy's bedroom, he basically attempts to go down on Paula to get a, a record contract. And um, that is probably my favorite scene in this entire um, in the t- in the entire episode. Well, and even knowing how, you know, just because we've seen the whole series, that uh, statement carries a little bit more weight than I guess maybe they originally intended. Uh, Definitely. That, earlier, that early in the series, because it, 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 it gets very interesting. But, you know, great relationships. Uh, you know, there are, there's definitely funnier episodes of the show. But, you know, uh, the first episode of any show isn't, really going to be, you know, a laugh riot generally. You know, they're just kind of getting the feel of things. And you can definitely tell. I wouldn't say it's, I would not ever say it's amateurish, but it, you know, the, you can see the growing pains. The first episode of Seinfeld, in fact, just kind of the first season of Seinfeld in general is, is really weird. 
Oh, the first couple are brutal. I mean, it really wasn't until season four when they hit their stride. And honestly, you know, it's amazing when you think about Peep Show. You know, Seinfeld had 22 episodes a season. And, it you know, it took them a couple seasons to really to really get to where they needed to be. Uh, you know, so you're talking 60-some episodes. You know, but that's longer than the entire series of Peep Show. Right. But, you know, but they managed to find where they need to be and just as soon as they hit it, they just keep it there for the rest of the series. It's just fantastic yeah. writing, fantastic acting. And, uh, you know, uh, Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong actually wrote every episode of the series except for four. Uh, if Is that correct, four? Yeah, there's four that were, were written by um, a different guy. And then there was one episode that was written by another person i apologize that i don't have their names in front of me but yeah uh, so f- basically 49 of the 54 episodes were written by the same team right and we'll, we'll point that out when we get to it because we always like to kind of see what the, the the differences are in credits and things like that when it actually matters uh you know i don't i doubt we'll be uh talking about which gaffer we thought was better but certainly uh we can do some analysis on the writing um but definitely uh stick with it uh, if you're just watching it for the first time, because it does get uh, it does get a little bit more interesting as the characters start to develop. Uh, did we say it was episode three was on the pole, correct? Yeah, or episode three is on the pole. Yeah, episode three called on the pole is maybe one of the best episodes in the whole series. So you just kind of gotta um, you know kind of learn the characters, understand the format of the show, and then it really starts to flow really well. I'm super excited to talk about next week's episode, the interview, and then of course in two weeks for on the poll. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we're gonna um, have, we're definitely gonna have some fun with that one. But I wanted to just go ahead and um, kind of segue out of of the show, and I just kind of want to talk about um, we have this podcast on on SoundCloud, we have it on Stitcher, we have it on iTunes now, and we have it on Google Play Music. Um, the podcast market is very saturated with podcasts. So if you're listening to this and enjoy it, whatever platform that you're listening to it on, if you could just give us a like, give us a, give us a like, give us a, a rating comments, uh, anything like that can, can help us reach more people. And I do just want to give a shout out to one person. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Regina Iorio, who is our only follower on SoundCloud right now. Hey, 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 Regina, thank you. Yeah, you followed us early, so we're going to show you some love. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. We have we have our Facebook page, El Dude Brothers Podcast. We have a Twitter account um, at El Dude Bros, and we also have a Tumblr page that we haven't really done anything with, but we're going to get to work on that absolutely and probably by the time that this episode actually uh is is available on soundcloud we should also be on tune in which will allow you to actually if you have an amazon echo you'll be able to ask alexa to listen to the ld brothers podcast yep that's uh we're working on we're working on some big things here so if you want to give us um like on facebook follow on twitter that'd be great um as I said last week, if we get 100 likes on Facebook, we will review the absolutely terrible American pilot for Peep Show. Absolutely. On so uh, on that note, I want to thank everybody for listening out there and uh, hope that you'll stick with us again next week. Uh, I know we were a little bit long-winded there, but uh, you know, episode one, you got to get through it, right? So uh, until next time, this is Lee. And Sean. And the L Dude Brothers podcast saying, eh, 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 and we'll see you next time.